Like sometimes when we put labels, even in in a good way, they limit how you see yourself, how you define yourself. Mm. So you know, if you say, you know, I am a business person, I am zero creative, then you're not going to really want to pursue anything that remotely is creative. Whereas vice versa, you say, well, I'm to I'm totally creative, and you think you're creative, but maybe you can go much further, mm. right? So. Um, I think labels are needed um, only because this is how we operate as human and we understand through communication. But I also think that we need to have the capacity to evolve uh, th those languages and those labels to be able to progress. Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I look for in these interviews is access to craft wisdom, the wisdom that only people who are creating on a daily basis have access to. Um, a lot of people write about or are experts in creativity or stress, uh, but they've never really experienced those challenges that are fundamental to creativity itself. Uh, and that's why I look for people who don't necessarily have time to write about their experiences and I dig into these people's world views and find out these practical tips for how to live a creative life and share your creativity with the world and manage manage the stress that is inherent in this work. Um, I've found that very little is able to be put into a box of this is creativity, this is not. Uh, for some people, creativity actually causes them stress to publish something and put it out there in the world. And for other people, creativity is an outlet, outlet to work with the stress that they have in their daily lives. So it's, uh, this is a, a huge topic that I'm exploring, and I don't really have the answers. Uh, and that's why I have questions for other people about how they work with it. And it's not so much about getting an answer, but it's about discovering uh, together in these conversations. Uh, what, is, what does it mean to be creative? What is stress? What is the purpose of stress? Today I interviewed Cecilia Tam, who is the founder of Mob co-working space in Barcelona. Uh, Cecilia has a lot of wisdom here to share about how she maintains creativity. We share a lot about having um, what ADD is, how ADD helps you with creativity. Uh, we also talk about labels and how even that label of ADD is sometimes harmful. Uh, talk a lot about privilege and how we're able. some people are able to travel, some people aren't. Uh, some people are creative inherently, some people aren't. Some people have to learn to be creative. Uh, Cecilia has a lot to share on this topic and I really highly recommend you uh, listen to the whole thing. And if you do like it, please find us on iTunes at Crazy Wisdom. And uh, if you really like this, episode, please give us a review. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Cecilia Tam. I'm the founder of Makers of Barcelona and as well as Fab Cafe. And um, yeah, welcome to Mob. Yeah. And what do you guys do here? We are a, one of the first few co-working spaces, uh, large scale, large community based uh, co-working and maker space here in Barcelona. Uh -huh. When I first came to Barcelona, I struggled so much uh. because this is this isn't my the, Barcelona is a great city it's beautiful food is good wine mm -hmm. is cheap yeah. you, know? uh -huh. you have the beach you have the sun you have the sea you have the mountains like literally to live here it's great yeah. working here uh -huh. it's a whole different you know, not not to mention being an entrepreneur here yeah. starting your own business and there's a lot of obstacles like mm. there, are no, there are no perfect cities right but when I first came here 14 15 years ago uh, 
there weren't a lot of uh, minorities. There weren't yeah. a lot of you know uh -huh. people coming out. There were a lot of migrants, but within Spain yeah. or even within Europe. Yeah. But, um, so there it was there was a lot of hardship, uh -huh. and uh, and I think uh, like a lot of other people, you start to think, oh, poor me, you victimize yourself, right? Poor mm -hmm. me, poor me. You know, I'm the minority. I'm the immigrant. Uh -huh. I am the you know single whatever. And then you, I'm, I'm a woman in a man's mm -hmm. world. You victimize yourself because it's easier to say I'm that than like make an effort to yeah, change yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. so and i did that we all do yeah we all do uh -huh. and uh and for a period of time it was just so much easier to just assume that role and then i realized one day that actually these are just labels yeah. right maybe other people actually do see me under those labels mm -hmm. um and there's nothing i can do about changing other people's perspective um, of me yeah. but I could do everything in my power in how I see myself. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I started changing these labels mm -hmm. on my own. Mm -hmm. So I started saying, well, maybe I'm not a minority. Uh -huh. Maybe I'm unique. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, maybe I'm not an a, a immigrant. Uh, maybe I'm international. Uh -huh. and, and then these words that are pretty much exactly the same thing mm -hmm. all of a sudden have um, power to uh -huh. it. Yep. And, you know, give me strength to do things that, you know, they are, they're advantageous to what I need to do. So uh -huh. it gives value to me as a uh, brand. Yeah. Um, and then, but then, but then we label our, so we don't agree with the labels that necessarily may, may have been given to us or that we give to ourselves, but then we recreate new, new labels. But do, do we get stuck in those new labels or is there, is there benefit to having labels at all or? I think, you know, this, I have had this conversation for the longest time. We assume there's a benefit of us being human mm -hmm. is that we have the power to communicate. Mm -hmm. And being able to communicate means that we have to put labeling things. Mm -hmm. But uh, the good thing about it is that we can evolve. So those labels are, I would say, temporary labels. Mm -hmm. And as we grow, those labels will grow with us mm -hmm. if we want to. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it depends on us, mm -hmm. right? So that is, a, and that's a really interesting paradox: is the 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 way that human beings, because no label, no word, no language will ever represent the thing itself, the thing it's talking about. Like uh, w words are just a, a map, essentially, and then we assume that those words are actually reality when we mistake the map mm -hmm. for the actual territory itself. Mm -hmm. But then, but that, and then you bring up a good point. As humans, we can communicate, so we've been given this lift of gift of language, right. uh, and then it's a way to basically uh, transmit an idea that I have in my head to you based on this language. Right. Um, but then there's drawbacks to it as well. Right. Yeah. But I think we should see words uh, not so much as maps. Uh as much as uh, like a compass, mm -hmm. uh, how we navigate, mm -hmm. and that they're not, fin they're not finite, nor are they permanent, mm -hmm. right? They're um, stasis mm -hmm. of how we understand relationship, how we understand each other. And mm -hmm. um, I think if, if we see it this way, we're not so kind of worried about these labels being tattooed mm -hmm. on us, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really see it that way. And how did you, you, you were talking before, before we started interviewing about your um, upbringing in Hong Kong and in a Buddhist culture, how much of what you just said about labels and everything is common knowledge there? And how much of that did you discover on your own? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think Buddhism isn't, uh, isn't so much a doctrine. Mm. Uh, because I went, the, f the funny thing is I went to a Catholic school. Uh -huh. At the same time, my family is, uh, uh, comes from a, a Buddhist culture. Uh -huh. So I got to see in parallel how these two kind of relate and not relate with each other. Mm. And uh, what I see is that uh, 
Buddhism is, is more of a philosophy, like a, um, a philosophical way of life, whereas uh, Christianity or Catholicism is more of a doctrine. Moral this code. is how you should yeah. live. This is um, so it's a very different way of understanding life. So mm. uh, and I see uh, if we we're, we're continuing this kind of theme on unlabeling, um, it is much more prevalent in 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 the Western religion to put things these labels mm, right mm-hmm. whereas, whereas because because in Buddhism things are more philosophical and you see things in well in relation to others mm. these labels are these labels are almost irrelevant mm. um, so I, I, but I, I wasn't taught that you just kind of see it eventually uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, huh. and when did you first because we talked also about meditation and your idea of meditation and you say you do meditate what what is meditation to you I think a lot of people have this notion of like meditation is like you find a quiet place you sit in a corner you cross your legs you put your you know hands on your knees and then and then you you chant or you have some kind of technique uh-huh. um, and I think uh, you know I, I've never done any formal training in meditating but like Sometimes when I'm on the bus and I have like literally two seconds yeah. and I have this little dot in my head and I just go into that dot, it's like my safe place. I uh-huh. guess it's like inside of me and then I go there and then I, I talk to it. Uh-huh. And that for me is meditation. It could uh-huh. be one second, it could be a fraction of a second, uh-huh. but it could be like 10 minutes mm-hmm. uh, whenever though I have those moments. And it's and it's like, and, and you get out of it, like it's it's... Sometimes it's really scary because it's literally like a blackout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd have no recollection of what that one fourth of a second mm-hmm. that my surrounding, what was happening in my surrounding, mm-hmm. because I am so internal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's meditation or not, mm-hmm. but for me it is. It sounds it's... like some other things that I've I've heard of and I've experienced on my own, which are, it doesn't happen very often to me. But 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 um, yeah, I mean, when sometimes when I sit in meditation, I don't I don't. If you had asked me what happened or what I had thought in those moments, I wouldn't be able to give you an answer because right. it's just I don't know something happened, but <laughs> you know I don't know what it was. Uh, and that's the thing about meditation is that uh, people have an idea of meditation as being a thing you do when you sit down and you pay attention to your breath, you count to ten, you have all these techniques, but those aren't all concentration um, right. techniques. They're not meditation techniques. Meditation right. happens when after, you uh, yeah after you've, you've established the mm. state of concentration, then meditation happens. So. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's non-conceptual. So they're right. they're they're we can't we can only kind of just like you were talking about labels. We can only kind of like get a little bit into that into right. that into that what the meditation is. But we can't really put it into words that really. That's why people use stories. That's why people use metaphors right. and stuff like that. Right. And uh, I think what's also really and I've never actually measured it. But when I say a fourth of a second, I, I have no yeah, uh-huh. sense of how long it could mm. be. It could be a bus ride of half an hour and it felt like a mm. quarter of a second or vice versa. Right? Mm. Um, so there's this kind of sort of uh, disconnect with the stimuli that is around me. Mm. And that for me is, is meditation. Sometimes mm. it's induced. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not. Mm. Sometimes. Uh, so I ride the bus to work, uh, the metro to work every single day. Mm. And so like maybe if I do it, because it's routinely, I sit down and I just kind of zone out, uh-huh. um, and then I zone back in. Uh-huh. It's just like a routine for me. So, you know, whenever I have those moments, it happens. Huh. And um, how do those moments kind of connect with creativity, or do you find creativity happens b- because of those moments? Because of, or all the time, uh-huh. all the time, and it's insane. Yeah, 
because I would be it's like when you're dreaming but you're awake uh-huh. and you're piecing those information that you've seen that seemingly so unrelated and so far uh, from any connections and then you're like oh you see this little tiny pattern in this little tiny corner and then like oh and, what? and then mm-hmm. you start piecing it and mm-hmm. sometimes um, sometimes it's, it's they were next to each other and they don't relate mm-hmm. and, uh, and then you, you ask s- somebody about it and they're like or they don't work how do you know, how do you know when it won't work because I uh, this happens to me a lot of times when I'll have really good ideas th- ideas that I think are really good but then they don't end up oh yeah all the time yeah, or yeah. it sounded really really amazing in my yeah. head uh-huh. <laughs> and then I say it out loud and it's yeah. like oh that's just like toast yeah. you know? <laughs> so voicing it voicing it writing it down voicing those it. are good ways to figure out how to voicing it talking to other people uh-huh. and yeah. I think uh, one of the reason why uh, I started a co-working uh, seven years ago is because these things need to like mm-hmm. you want it to have a sounding board you want to have other people to see, you know, if it, it if it's as crazy as it is in my head. Mm. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and also I've noticed that, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm fascinated with this concept of the mirror neurons uh-huh. uh, and, and how we learn through empathy. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember reading it. Um, I'm sure you, you're familiar mm. with this, like in the 90s, this monkey saw that what was kind of connected with all these. I'm, I'm butchering the story, but like, the monkey being connected with all these sensors. And then uh, there was a scientist testing his uh, neuronal activities while he's cracking a nut. And, uh, and all of a sudden, another scientist came into the room mm. and this monkey dropped the nut. Uh, and then the scientist took this and started cracking. Mm. And what was really surprising in the computer, even though the monkey wasn't doing anything, it was as if he was cracking the nut himself. Uh-huh. So just by pure observation, uh-huh. he took in as if he was in the act of cracking the Interesting. nut. So that was like revealing to me, like in a space like a co-working, a maker space, just being in proximity and seeing other people do things, mm-hmm. not just not only voicing it, but seeing it in the act of it mm-hmm. also kind of, you but, know. But then the issue that I see with that is that what's in, in Silicon Valley, this is a huge conversation right now about open office plans and closed office plans and having people working in the same environment when there's noise and other things and having being open. Maybe it's different in a co-working space where you're not kind of don't have a relationship, don't have a working relationship with everybody you're working with. But how is this, how, the, what is the difference between solitude, creativity and solitude and creativity with other people? Uh, I think the biggest difference is choice uh-huh. in the sense that like 10 years ago, we didn't well, open offices was not a choice. The only place you can go to is a coffee shop, uh-huh. right? which, which is not exactly the same. Uh-huh. Uh, but the fact that I could choose the day that I want solitude, uh-huh. I can I can choose solitude. I can go or even stay at my own house and, and or go into a, my studio or rent a private office. You know, these are all options. Mm-hmm. Now we have options. Mm-hmm. So uh, even in big offices with open open spaces, there are always nooks and crannies. Mm-hmm. You can book a room and mm-hmm. you can always be solitude, but you cannot always find kind of a very fostering creative environment where other people are doing cool shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. uh-huh. And then you see it and you're like, wow, that's awesome. Uh-huh. You know? um, What's one of the coolest thing you've seen come out, come out of this co-working space so far? Um, I don't know if this is cool or not, but it was definitely one of these moments. It was just like, branded in my brain, but uh, we we brought the first Maker Fair huh. to Spain, hmm. uh, and that was 2013, and we, you know, this is not so much co-working, but it was, you know, uh, here, and I remembered um, in the, we, we did it in the street, and I, we had 3D printers, we had all sorts of, like, gadgets and stuff, and I remembered seeing, strolling down the street was this elderly in mm. his wheelchair and uh, and he was just looking around and he, it was free, people could roam around and uh, 
and he, he stopped by one of the 3D printers and I remembered him, him leaning over and he couldn't see very well because the, the table was really high. So he propped himself up from the wheelchair and he leaned over to the table, oh. got himself up to look at the 3D printer. Oh. He stood there for two hours <laughs> talking and chatting about what 3D printing can do and if he, if, like, he would love to learn so that he can like, recreate certain pieces during wartime. It was just like conversation and conversation and conversation of it. Oh. And you can see his eyes had like sparkles in it. Mm. And that was like, that was, that was, oh. <laughs> that was priceless. That yeah. was priceless. And, oh. uh, That's really cool. And so what is the role of inspiration in creativity? The role of inspiration. Um, can you, can you define more? So what, so a lot of people today believe that in order to be successful or whatever, you have to motivate yourself. You have to ah, rely on motivation. Okay. And then there's this other aspect of it, which is inspiration, which is okay. things you find yourself doing. So already. there is this GIF, um, can't show you, but <laughs> there's this GIF, I don't know if you know, but uh, next time you can try, if you uh -huh. see an ant, uh -huh. you can draw a circle around this ant, uh -huh. and the, the ant will stay in the circle, uh -huh. thinking that it is an actual <laughs> obstacle and a boundary, right? Until it figure it out like five minutes later that you can, you can step out of it. People do this. Uh. We, we, whether it is because of education, whether it is because you know whatever societal kind of framework that has been instilled in us, we draw these boundaries around ourselves, and we think, oh, I, I don't know how to do three D printing. It's really hard, you know. Like I don't know, you know, AI because you know it's so far from what I do, and and they keep making these excuses, mm. like I did when mm. I was saying, oh, poor me, I'm an immigrant, or poor me, I am, you know, a minority. Because it's always easier to assume being the victim, mm. right? So uh, when you see other people that is of your equal, and they have made it, they're of your equal or worse, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that have done it, you're like, wow, you mm -hmm. know, like if they, they can, can do, do it, it yeah. of course I can do it, yeah. right? So uh, just, and, and I, and that's another reason why like co-working and makerspaces are so fundamental to me is because mm. you see it. You mm. see that your peers mm. are starting up startups. You see that your peers are using 3D printers. You see mothers and, you know, kids and elderlies and like using technologies that we thought were only for those professionals. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, if they can do this, hell, you know, I'm mm. going to try it. And mm -hmm. you try it and you're like, wow, it's actually not that hard. Uh -huh. And then you just snowballed into something that you... Never imagined. Huh. And what was the hardest thing about starting this this place, this co-working space? Oh, everything. <laughs> it was really hard. Yeah. Being in a foreign country, uh, you know, Barcelona speaks, we, we speak Catalan here. Mm -hmm. We don't speak, you know, Spanish. I learned Spanish first. You know, that was not... And you speak Catalan now? No, <laughs> I still don't. <laughs> no. I understand it perfectly. I okay. just don't speak it. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that uh, it's still... You know, I, I grew up in, in Hong Kong, Macau, and then in the U.S., you know, this is a whole new different set of regulations and rules. You know, I, I, I was trained as an architect. I could not practice mm. as an architect here. So there were a lot of things that I had to start from zero, mm -hmm. and it felt like I was constantly swimming against the current. Mm. Um, and uh, what, but what wasn't working was also what helped me. Mm. Uh, launch it. So, meaning that because I was a foreigner, because I was a woman, well, not was, <laughs> yeah, I'm still a woman, mm. but like because of all the things that I thought were not not uh, advantageous, uh, those gave me um, uh, a kind of 
added value, mm. right? All of a sudden, I opened something that uh, they didn't foresee, but I brought it from the U.S. Yeah. Uh, because mm. Spain was a little bit lagging behind. Mm -hmm. You know, I brought things that I saw could be uh, could be advantageous, mm -hmm. and uh, and I used my differentiate like my my differences mm -hmm. in branding it, mm. and and it worked mm. uh, with That's a lot great. of luck. Uh huh. That's great. Uh, so culture shock you've experienced a lot of culture shock now you've been living here for how long almost 15 16 years okay 16 years and uh, and what was that what was the hardest part about culture shock experiencing culture shock and like moving here and having kind of like no friend group in a different in a different place and kind of because I've experienced culture shock many times I've, 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 uh, I've done it and then I've come back to the United States and I've it, the hardest thing about culture shock for me is just kind of this essentially it's very stressful like going down to the street finding a new place to uh, something to eat finding a good restaurant all of it's more difficult because it's in a different language and because you're not from here and it's like all these little things kind of add up to making mm -hmm. it a, a very difficult situation but th that's also kind of what I like about it as well what are kind of can you talk about culture shock like what are you uh, so, I mean, this, I guess this would be like my second time to have culture shock. So I moved from uh, Macau uh -huh. to the U.S. when I was 14. Uh -huh. I was like, that was, that was big yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> because it was, four, you're 14, you're in high school, not even high school, high school middle school, high school-ish. So that was the first one. Uh, that was a massive one. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was when I was 28 and I moved from uh, the U.S. to Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the, the so the second one was more towards not being able to find work. Um, I could not get anyone to hire me. My diploma was not um, uh, recognized here. Um, didn't speak the language, didn't know anyone, have no contacts, uh, didn't realize how much uh, context is required mm -hmm. or like whom you know. Uh, we are living, uh, you know, Barcelona in Spain, it's still within the European context of, you know, whom you know, what your family's, what, what your family background, mm -hmm. you know, they look at your last name, they ask, you know, who mm -hmm. you are, your lineage. I mean, it sounds so silly, right? Mm -hmm. But who you're friends with, whom you can, it's all kind yeah. of works this way. And, yeah. and I didn't know all the, any of those things. I didn't have any leverages. I didn't have um, any oh. friends here. Yeah. So once you realize it, and I think nowadays it's very different. I'm talking about 15 years ago when there weren't a lot of um, people or, flooding in now, in startup world yeah, or okay. entrepreneurial. And now world. in Barcelona, it is now it's now it's very metropolitan. Okay. Yeah, uh, very uh -huh. very metropolitan. Uh -huh. um, so you know, I, I, I was on my skateboard today and I saw somebody passing by and his T-shirt said hacker. And I was just like, oh my god, I'm uh, back in back in the yeah. The, the flow. No, it's yeah. like globalization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. like, uh, but 15 but years ago, it was, it was yeah. not like this uh -huh. at all. Mm. You know, we were still going through a recession. You know, they were still under crisis people weren't you know I was an architect no one was building anything mm. um, you know my first job was I was getting paid 600 euros a month mm. couldn't even pay for rent mm. I mean it was like it was that bad mm. so um, and I always and I think being an American and I'm uh, okay so when I came here I was very relatively young mm. and so my vision also of Europe of maybe Spain I said it's it's, it's like very underdeveloped <laughs> Mm. <laughs> you know, poor even, uh, and it wasn't poor. I mean, it, it was going through recession, but it's certainly not like poor, poor. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was another cultural shock, right? And mm. uh, but 
once you know, I mean, it is, it is in the, the, the thing about Barcelona is that it is such a freaking amazingly beautiful city. Mm. Like you walk down the street and then like, you don't get that. I, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, mm-hmm. Atlanta is beautiful. Yeah. Barcelona is breathless. Yeah. yeah. Know, and the like, city itself too. That's the most interesting thing about being in the city is just how actually uh, it's stunning the urban environment of the city in places like San Francisco, the urban environment is beautiful. But you, the real beauty of San Francisco is in the urban mixed with the nature. Yeah. And I guess you have that to here too. But man, like just the buildings here, the architecture, the way it's built. The, the design, the, art, the culture. Yeah, everything and, is, and it's is it, magical. And yeah. It's an embedded in food and uh-huh. wine and gastronomy. Uh-huh. And uh, and it's just, it's, it's breathless. Uh-huh. Right? And, you, and, and I've never experienced that. Uh, not Maybe a little bit in Macau. Uh-huh. Definitely not. Yeah. And I can't say I've been to a lot of big cities, some of the best big cities in the world. And I've lived in a lot of big, bigger cities. And I can't, I can't place Barcelona on that map. The closest yeah. thing that I've, I've experienced is maybe Rio de Janeiro where this mix mm-hmm. of, of the beach and, and the, the, mm-hmm. the culture and everything. That would probably, Rio is the closest thing yeah. I would say to Barcelona, yeah, but it's yeah. pretty, it seems pretty special here. So there's one thing you said earlier about uh, uh, basically how it's weird for you coming to a place like this in Europe where everybody bases their thoughts and about you, their perception of you based on your family or your lineage, mm-hmm. who you are, your names mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I would say that that's probably true for the rest of the world, including San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But the thing about San Francisco is they don't ask, the time frame doesn't have to be very long. So you right. can move to San Francisco. It's just very, everybody's open with who they talk to and they right. don't have these preconceived notions, probably because anybody you are talking to could that's be a billionaire. Uh, they just don't dress like it true. and they don't talk about it. So true. it's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think that's an interesting thing you bring up. Um, and have you spent much time in San Francisco? Enough, yeah, uh, enough, yeah. enough. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there, um, I guess uh, in the U.S. there's this culture of um, you know the American dream. Mm-hmm. You, you can make it on your own. Here there isn't this kind of um, you know like hardworking and you you make it. There's still this kind of oh your last name is. Um, I don't know, Freixanette, you uh-huh. must be from the you know, right. the cava, uh-huh. you know, the champagne from Freixanette. Uh-huh. And, and this, you get all sorts of opportunities, right? Um, it's still, it's still, it still happens. Yeah. Um, and something you asked about shock and something else uh, that I've noticed and I still notice nowadays as a metropolitan as it is, is um, that I think 15 years ago was far more because there hasn't not been any, any far Eastern migrants coming into Spain. Mm. So, you know, uh, uh, mm. uh, an Asian-looking person in the city would be, you know, looked at in a very different way. So even 15 years later, I still get, you know, ni hao on the street, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like bowing. <laughs> I still get that. Whoa. I get uh, people will ask me a question. I answered in Spanish uh-huh. and they were like, que? They were just <laughs> like not expecting that I could, could speak Spanish. Speak Spanish. <clears throat> I still get that. It's just, uh-huh. just, you know, you, yeah. can't, you can't beat it. It's and, and that's the thing. What do you do? Do you have any, like, is it, 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 to me, when you said that, it makes, it made me think of times when I get angered because of things on my own or things that, that, that um, get to me. But, and then the re- thing I've realized is that they're always going to get to me, but they just get to me less and less each yeah. time it happens, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They kind of flow through you yeah. easier. Yeah. 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 Would you have any te- tips or techniques as to how to kind of manage? I can tell you, I, 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 I it gets worse for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> because the one reason why it gets worse is because I have two little girls uh-huh. and they are very noticeably Asian. Uh-huh. Uh, they, you, you can tell that they have Asian blood in them. And one thing is when these acts are towards me. Mm. Another thing is when they see these acts and they absorb it and mm. they take it as if 
That's how the society operates. And that just mm. <laughs> boils all the blood in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written an article on this platform called um, Playground, or mm. they interviewed me for this article on Playground where uh, they would call, um, I don't want to get into this because uh, it's a very heated debate, but uh, the stores here, the, the dollar store here are called Chinos, mm. or the supermarkets are called Pakis. Mm because they're traditionally opened by Chinese people or by Pakistani people, which mm-hmm. is not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I get furious when people still use these terminologies. And, uh, and I don't want mm-hmm. my, these are single stories mm-hmm. of an ethnicity of people, which mm-hmm. is may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I don't have any mechanism. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I know uh, they don't do it because they're trying to be mean. Mm-hmm. They, they don't they, they do it because they, they just don't know any better mm-hmm. they have no idea that, it, that it's hurting mm-hmm. someone else mm-hmm. so with that grain of salt I mm-hmm. just trying to kind of you know educate yeah and that's the interesting thing because I think in America that conversation happens whereas yeah. outside of America that conversation doesn't even happen uh, like in, in an example of this would be in Brazil where people from Brazil will say racism doesn't exist but Racism very much exists, but nobody talks about it. Right. So it's like, and it's it, they have, it's a very similar thing in Brazil and Mexico and other places about about yeah, uh, and it's it's something that I've only seen happen in America before, where this conversation about the language that we use and language being detrimental. Um, what do you think about that? What you know, it's it's funny. There is um, uh, language or words only make sense within a context. Mm. Right, so um, I can, so for example, um, in Spain here, we use the word coño mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coño translated translate in English, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it, but uh-huh. it's probably the worst thing that you can use ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 60-year-old use the word coño here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, huh. So, um, and it, it is the co- context of which you use these terms, right? Mm-hmm. So, is it detrimental? in certain contexts that the receiver assumes worse or less lesser of a, of the by definition mm-hmm. then yes mm-hmm. but if it's not then you know i you can be my girlfriend i call you a bitch mm-hmm. and we'll be of equal mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be hurtful mm-hmm. but if if you call me a bitch right now mm-hmm. i would just smack the hell out of you yeah, because yeah. we're it's not a, within that same equal context yeah, right yeah. so uh-huh. you know it depends when language uh language Hurts, or when it's attached with power, right? Uh, or those with privilege, uh-huh. more privileges than others. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when there's a ranking of privileges, uh-huh. and you want a word is being used to demote. I don't uh-huh. know if that's the right word. Then, yeah, even with the best intention, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the end, the only thing matters is the person who receives it, uh-huh. right? And how they perceive that word being used on them. Uh-huh. It doesn't really matter what the intention of that person. Who is saying who that? Is saying that uh-huh. so. Interesting. Um, but then doesn't that also get into kind of layers of essentially labeling somebody as more privileged or as not? Yeah, or absolutely. Is, yeah, yeah uh-huh. absolutely. Yeah. So I, I have a massive fan of this uh-huh. uh, mathematician called Eugenia Chang. Uh-huh. I follow her work. She has written many books. So um, she, she's a mathematician specializing on what's called category theory. And you should look at her talk because she, she, she mathematically trying to deduce and, and map out the hierarchy of privileges mm. uh, in one of her talks. Mm-hmm. And I was, you can't argue math, right? Uh-huh. At the end of the day, and uh-huh. you can see it, and she graphed it, and I was like, wow, it was probably one of these 
talks that you see like of course that makes sense mm -hmm. right when you start understand when you start giving um, hypothetical value or hierarchy to to life mm -hmm. um, then the struggle between these differences become clear mm -hmm. um, I'm not gonna talk into it because I'm, I'm not you uh -huh. know an expert in, in what she does but it's really fascinating topic uh -huh. Interesting. But you need to. Uh -huh. There is, uh, I mean, I am more, I'm privileged in certain things and not privileged in others. Yeah. Right. So we all are, we all are, you know, depending on what value we're comparing. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you, it's really hard to self valued mm -hmm. where you are at uh, constantly in relation to the other person yeah. or to other people mm -hmm. in general. Because that's the that's the issue I think I have with this this type of thinking is essentially because we're all p power it, when we're in conversation when we're in relationship with each other it's a constantly fluctuating thing as well so that that um, uh, and it's hard for me to come to an example right now about what exactly so it's really difficult to apply a label that will stick with somebody like we were talking about before and so this this this. I'll, I'll, I'll bring an example of my own life. So I'm I'm white. I've come from family with money, uh, you know. So I have all of these external privileges uh, that that have given me a lot in my life, and I can't can't argue that at all. Uh, but at the same time, I've I've dealt with medical issues, chronic pain, overweight, uh, for a large part. None of which you can tell from looking at me. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this essentially this 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 disconnect between. Uh, uh, so I, I'm very privileged in some ways and I'm not privileged at all in other ways and I've had challenges in my life that no, very few other people can deal with uh, um, so it's hard for me to say that I'm, I have more power than somebody else and stuff mm -hmm. like that but other people give me the power that's the, that's the interesting thing about, about being white and going to all these different places other people give me that power because of what they see, see. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's uh, yeah. So I don't I don't I don't know how to operationalize that. I don't. <laughs> no, it's definitely very very complex. Uh -huh. And so um, really look at look at Eugenia Chang. Okay. Because uh, she ex she defined category theory huh. as the logical explanation of logical things. Cool. Except that nothing in our world is logical. Yeah. Right? Nothing. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, but to be able to make relationship or com comparison between things, you need to eliminate everything. You need to eliminate noise. Mm. So you can only compare things that are of equal. Mm. So I, we can only compare my whiteness and I am certainly partly white, not because of blood, but because of culture. Right. Mm. So we can compare our whiteness mm. or where we went to school or our family background I cannot for example compare other things that I have never experienced right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um, we all have those thousands and thousands and thousands of those things in our head and mm -hmm. uh, there are ones that are more uh, prominent uh -huh. I mean like race for example it's nothing that you can't do anything about it it's for your life forever and yeah. it's a you know I can't hide it I can't hide the fact that you know however way I you know color my hair which I do uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and however way I can you know speak per and I remember sitting in front of CN, uh, CN, CNN is that the, at the TV show yep. CNN mm -hmm. trying to get rid of my accent uh -huh. because I, I, I was speaking with this poor Chinese accent and I wanted to talk white right mm -hmm. <laughs> there are certain things that you just cannot mask mm. and uh, and there's other things that you can work harder and, and uh, so yeah I, I think it's not 
it's not uh-huh. there's no formula yeah you, you can't know? you can't put a label on it can't i mean no, you yeah can't put a label but at the it. same time there is this difference and this 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 hierarchical differences between people based on culture and history and all this different stuff and so we have to recognize that that both exists but at the same time we can't we can't uh change the fact that we're all individuals it's all relative and it's all context based too as well right um, yeah. it's definitely very very uh i would say no one knows more than you yourself mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. those things are mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, no one else matter mm-hmm. except yeah. how you see those things yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, but it does get to me when people are oblivious mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. their actions mm-hmm. uh, outward. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So it's ignorance, about. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And what worse is that even knowing the context, they still continue mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just blatant, you know, mm-hmm. disrespect. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. not going to go there. Cool. <laughs> So yeah, we've got about five minutes left. What, um, what is the biggest piece of, you of, advi- of advice you have for somebody who is creating something or big, like biggest thing you've read, best thing you've read recently that's kind of helped you figure out how to deal with stress or creativity or be more creative? Like what's one actionable advice that you have for somebody? I think the, uh, something that I've learned uh, recently and I wish I had learned earlier in my life, we're natural creators. Uh-huh. Uh, all of us, right? You can call yourself not creative or not creative or, or whatnot, but like we create things, this is what we do. Uh, but because we are also human, the things that we create becomes ours. My, mine, my, my, mine, yes, is mine. And then you have this kind of pride and attachment to the thing that you have made, whether it is a business, whether it's a work of art, whether it is, you know, whatever it is, it's, you attach yourself. You, you're, 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 you know, your life and blood is in it. Um, and I think that's wrong. Mm. Uh, I think we put much more emphasis on the thing and not so much on the process. Mm. I think we put much more emphasis on pride mm-hmm. than the learning from it. Mm. Um, and, and I think as soon as I let go of the thing, oh my God, it didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, like your, your startup might fail, your business might not work, you might, you know, fail the class and it it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because you haven't lost that learning you haven't Mm -hmm. lost everything that you have absorbed during the business you haven't it becomes accumulated Mm. right i've done two degrees i have a biology degree i have an architecture degree i am not a biologist nor am i an architect right (laughs) Uh but are those degrees lost Uh um no because it made me think the way i think now Uh and i wouldn't i mean i would and i think i think school should start teaching uh, not the ends, mm-hmm. but the means to the end as an important way of understanding how we learn as, mm-hmm. as people. Yeah. Uh, focus, focus on process. This is something that I've heard from Gary Vaynerchuk recently and Oprah is basically focusing on process as opposed to outcome goals right. and stuff like that. Right. And it's just focusing on the journey and, and being kind of content with whatever you have exactly. uh, in the moment. And, yeah. everything like that. and I would even add to that that if we focus on the end, mm-hmm. if the end is a failure, then you attach that with failure. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if you if that end is eliminated, you can pivot, mm-hmm. and the, it gives the, you freedom. It gives yeah. you freedom, yeah. and that's a that's just freaking you know mm-hmm. liberty. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I don't think we're taught that. We're uh-huh. not taught that in school. Uh-huh. 
and that's actually what meditation teaches us just like what you're talking about with that dot inside of you is basically that kind of going back to that non-conceptual state of, of reality and just having that limitless freedom in front of you to right. to then take on any type of thing you can see the vast yeah. options and every, yeah mm -hmm. absolutely and mm -hmm. that thing is ego uh -huh. Uh -huh. that thing at the end is uh -huh. your ego yeah and uh -huh. when you detach it, when you say, you know, I, it doesn't really matter if that works or not. What, what really matters is that there's a greater goal, mm. right? Mm. There's, it goes beyond that. I am aiming to make impact. I am trying. Mm. That is just that's just mm. whole world out mm. there. It's just one little tiny dot. And we get fixated on that. Uh -huh. How can people find you um, if they want to continue this conversation? Or online, uh, or? They can find me online. It's uh -huh. just CeciliaTom.com. Okay. T-H-A-M. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever talk on Twitter? Do you ever? I don't, but I should. <laughs> I love these conversations. Yeah. We should do a second one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've basically started to use Twitter as my personal note-taking on books I read. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm going to start so, doing yeah, that. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So whenever I read something, I have a thought. That's where I put it. Is basically. Oh wow! Yeah. So you have a record of it. Yeah, no, exactly, like short yeah. notes. Yeah, yeah. I love that that's, idea. I'm going to copy it. I've turned it all into this, all my social medias into that. Basically, Instagram is now my travel it's like a way because i always used to travel and i'd never write about travel mm -hmm. and now i like actually like write about it and so i, I it's just like micro it. micro note-taking yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant yeah, that's yeah. brilliant yeah uh i'm gonna take i'm gonna copy that cool well thank you so much for coming on the show that was awesome yeah <laughs>